Section 18. The Book of Ghosts. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kirk Ziegler. Donnelly proceeded. I was so interested in what Alec told me, that I said to him, Come along with me into the Nineveh room, and we shall be able to thrash this matter out. Ah, Sahib, he replied. They will not allow me to take in my tray. Very well, said I. Then we will find a step before the portico, one not too much frequented by the pigeons, and will sit there. He agreed. But the porter at the gate demurred to letting the Hindu through. He protested that no trafficking was allowed on the premises. I explained that none was proposed, that the man and I proposed a discussion on psychological topics. This seemed to content the porter and he suffered Alec to pass through with me. We picked out as clean a portion of the steps as we could, and seated ourselves on it side by side. And then the Hindu went on with what he was saying. Donnelly and I were now drying rapidly. As we sat facing each other, we must have looked very much like the chocolate men one sees in the confectioner's shops. Of course, I mean on a much larger scale, and not to the same warm tint, and of course also, we did not exhale the same aromatic odor. When we were seated, proceeded Donnelly, I felt the cold of the stone steps strike up into my system, and as I have had a touch or two of lumbago since I came home, I stood up again, took a copy of the standard out of my pocket, folded it, and placed it between myself and the step. I did, however, pull out the inner leaf, that containing the leaders, and presented it to Alec for the same purpose. Orientals are insensible to kindness, and are deficient in the virtue of gratitude. But this delicate trait of attention did touch the benighted heathen. His lip quivered, and he became, if possible, more than ever communicative. He nudged me with his tray and said, "'There goes out a Merriwick. I wonder why she leaves so soon.' I saw a middle-aged woman in a gown of grey with greasy splotches on it, and the braid unsewn at the skirt trailing in a loop behind. "'What are the Merriwigs?' I asked. "'I will give you what I learned in my own words. "'All men and women, I allude only to Europeans and Americans, "'in the first stage of their life are bound morally, and in their own interest, "'to acquire and store up in their brains as much information as these will hold, "'for it is out of this that their wings be evolved in their second stage of existence. "'Of course, the more varied this information is, the better.' Men inevitably accumulate knowledge. Even if they assimilate very little at school, yet as young men they necessarily take in a good deal. Of course I exempt the mashers, who never learn anything. Even in sport they obtain something. But in business, by reading, by association, by travel, they go on piling up a store. You see that in common conversation that they cannot escape doing this. Politics, social questions, points of natural history, Scientific discoveries form the staple of their talk, so that the mind of a man is necessarily kept replenished. But with women this is not the case. Young girls read nothing whatever but novels. They might as well feed on soap bubbles. Their conversation with one another they twaddle. They do not talk. But, protested I, in our civilized society young women associate freely with men. That is true, replied he. But to what is their dialogue limited? To ragging, to frivolous jokes, 
men do not talk to them on rational topics for they know well enough that such topics do not interest girls and that they are wholly incapable of applying their minds to them it is wondered why so many englishmen look out for american wives that is because the american girl takes pains to cultivate her mind becomes a rational and well-educated woman she can enter into her husband's interests she can converse with him on almost every topic she becomes his companion that the modern english girl cannot be her head is as hollow as a drum now if she grows up and marries or even remains an old maid the case is altered she takes to keeping poultry she becomes passionately fond of gardening and she acquires a fund of information on the habits and customs of the domestic servant the consequence of this is that the vast majority of english young women who die early die with nothing stored up in their brains out of which the wings may be evolved in the larva condition they have consumed nothing that can serve them to bring them into the higher state so said i we are all you and i in the larva condition as well as the girls quite so we are larva like them only they are more so to proceed when girls die without having acquired any profitable knowledge as you well see they cannot rise they become merriwigs oh that is merriwigs said i greatly astonished yes but the merriwigs i have seen pass in and out of the british museum whether to study the collections or to work in the reading room were middle-aged for the most part how do you explain that i asked i give you only what i received from alec there are male merriwigs but there are few and far between for the reasons i have given to you i suppose there are ninety-nine female merriwigs to one male you astonish me i was astonished when i learned this from alec now i will tell you something further all the souls of the girls who have died empty-headed in the preceding twenty-four hours in england assemble at four o'clock every morning or rather a few minutes before the stroke of the clock about the statue of queen anne in front of st paul's cathedral with a possible sprinkling of male masher souls among them at the stroke of the clock off the whole swarm rushes up holborn hill along oxford street whither i cannot certainly say alec told me that it is for all the world like a rush of an army of rats in the sewers but what can that hindu know of underground london he knows because he lodges in the house of a sewer man with whom he has become on friendly terms then you do not know whither this galloping region runs not exactly for alec was not sure but he tells me they tear away to the great garderobe of discarded female bodies they must get into these so as to make up for the past and acquire knowledge out of which the wings may be developed of course there is a scramble for these bodies for there are at least a half a dozen applicants at first only the abandoned husks of old maids were given them but the supply having proved to be altogether inadequate they are obliged to put up with those of married women and widows there was some demur as to this but beggars must not be choosers and so they became merriwigs and there are more than a sufficiency of old bachelors outer cases hanging up in the garderobe but the girls will not get into them at any price now you understand what merriwigs are and why they swarm in the reading room of the british museum they are there picking up information as hard as they can pick this is extremely interesting i said and novel 
I thought you would say so. How goes on the drying? I have been picking off clots of clay while you have been talking. I hope you are interested, said Donnelly. Interested, I replied, is not the word for it. I am glad you think so, said the Major. I was intensely interested in what Alec told me, so much so that I proposed that he should come with me into the reading-room and point out to me such as he perceived by his remarkable gift of the discernment of spirits were actually Merriwigs. But again the difficulty of his tray was objected, and Alec further intimated that he was missing opportunities of disposing of his trinkets by spending so much time conversing with me. "'As to that,' said I, I will buy half a dozen of your bangles, and present them to my lady friends, as coming from me, an oriental traveller. They will believe them to be genuine." "'As your experiences,' interpolated I. "'What do you mean by that?' he inquired sharply. "'Nothing more than this,' rejoined I. "'That faith is grown weak among females nowadays.' "'That is certainly true. It is becoming a sadly incredulous sect. I further got over Alec's difficulty about the tray by saying that it could be left in the custody of one of the officials at the entrance. Then he consented. We passed through the swing door and deposited the tray with the functionary who presides over umbrellas and walking sticks. I went forward along with my Hindu toward the reading room. But here another hindrance arose. Alec had no ticket, and therefore might not enter beyond the glass screen interposed between the door and the readers. Some demur was made as to his being allowed to remain there for any considerable time, but I got over that by means of a little persuasion. Sahib, said Alec, I should suggest you marking the Merriwigs, as to be able to recognize them elsewhere. How can I do that? I inquired. I have here with me a piece of French chalk, he answered. You go within, Sahib, and walk up and down the tables, behind the chairs of the readers, or around the circular cases that contain the catalogues, and where the students are looking out for books they desire to consult. When you pass a female, either seated or standing, glance towards the glass screen, and when you are by a Merriwig I will hold up my hand above the screen, and you will know her to be one. Then just scrawl a W or M or any other letter or cabalistic symbol that occurs to you upon her back with the French chalk. Then whenever you meet her in the street, in society, at an ABC place of refreshment, on a railway platform, you will recognize her infallibly. Not likely, I objected. Of course, so soon as she gets home she will brush off the mark. You do not know much of the Merriwigs, he said. When the spirits of those frivolous girls were in their first stage of existence, they were most particular about their personal appearance, about the neatness and stylishness of their dress, and the puffing and piling of their hair. Now all that is changed. They are so disgusted at having to get into any unsold body that they can lay hold on in the guard-robe, such as a body being usually plain in features, middle-aged, with no waist to speak of, or rather too ample in the waist to be elegant, that they have abandoned all concern about dress and tidiness. Besides, they are engrossed in the acquisition of knowledge, and the burning desire that consumes them is to get out of these burrowed cases as speedily as may be. Consequently, so long as they are dressed and their hair done up anyhow, that is all they care about. As to threads or feathers or French chalk marks on their clothes, they would not think of looking for them. Then Alec handed me a little piece of French chalk, 
such as the tailors and dressmakers employ to indicate alterations when fitting on garments. So provided, I pass wholly into the spacious reading room, leaving the Hindu behind the screen. I slowly strayed down the first line of desks and chairs, which were fully engaged. There were many men there, with piles of books at their sides. There were also some women. I stepped behind one and turned my head towards the screen, but Alec made no sign. At the second, however, up went his hand above it, and I hastily scrawled M on her back as she stooped over her studies. I had time, moreover, to see what she was engaged upon. She was working up deep-sea surroundings, beginning with that recorded by Schiller in his Ballad of the Diver, down to the last scientific researches in the bottom of the Atlantic and the Pacific, and the dredgings of the North Sea. She was engrossed in her work, and was picking up facts at a prodigious rate. She was a woman of, I should say, forty with a cadaverous face, a shapeless nose and enormous hands. Her dress was gray, badly fitted, and her boots were even worse made. Her hair was drawn back and knotted in a bunch behind, with pins sticking out. It might have been better brushed. I passed on behind her back. The next occupants of seats were gentlemen. So I stepped to another row of desks, and looking around saw Alec's hand go up. I was behind a young lady in a felt hat, crunched in at top, and with a feather at the side. She wore a pea-jacket, with large smoked buttons, and beneath it a dull green gown, very short in the skirt and brown boots. Her hair was short like that of a man. As I halted, she looked around, and I saw that she had hard brown eyes, like pebbles, without a gleam of tenderness or sympathy in them. I cannot say whether this was due to the body she had assumed, or to the soul which had entered into the body, whether the lack was in the organ, or in the psychic force which employed the organ. I merely state the fact. I looked over her shoulder to see what she was engaged upon, and found that she was working her way diligently through Herbert Spencer. I scored a W on her back, and went on. The next Merriwig I had to scribble on was a wizened old lady with little gray curls on the temples, very shabby in dress, and very antiquated in costume. Her fingers were dirty with ink, and the ink did not appear to me to be all of that day's application. Besides, I saw that she had been rubbing her nose. I presume it had been tickling. And she had done this with a finger still wet with ink, so that there was a smear on her face. She was engaged on the peerage. She had Dodd, Burke, and Foster before her and was getting up the authentic pedigrees of our noble families and their ramifications. I noticed with her, as with the other Merriwigs, that when they had swallowed a certain amount of information they held up their heads, much like fowls after drinking water. The next that I marked was a very thin woman, of an age I was quite unable to determine. She had a pointed nose and was dressed in red. She looked like a stick of sealing wax. The gown had probably been good enough and showy at one time, but it was ripped behind now, and the stitches showed. Besides, a little bit of what was beneath. There was a frilling, or a root or a tucker, about the throat that I think had been sewn into it three weeks before. I drew a note of interrogation on her back with my bit of French chalk. I wanted much to find out what she was studying, but could not. She turned around and asked sharply what I was stooping over for, and breathing on the back of her neck. So I was forced to go on to the next. This was a lady, fairly well dressed, in the dingiest of colors, wearing spectacles. 
I believe that she wore divided skirts, but as she did not stand up and walk I cannot be certain. I am particular never to make a statement of which I am not absolutely certain. She was engaged upon the subject of the land laws in various countries, on common land and property and land, and she was at the time devoting her special attention to the constitution of the Russian Mir, and the tenure of the land under it. I scrawled on her back the zodiacal sign for Venus, the Virgin, and went further. But when I had marked seventeen I gave it up. I had already gone over the desks to L, beginning backward, and that sufficed. So I returned to Alec, paid him for the bangles, and we separated. I did, however, give him a letter to the secretary of the Psychical Research Society, and addressed it, having found what I wanted in the London directory, which was in the reading room of the British Museum. Two days later I met, by appointment, my Hindu once more, and for the last time. He had not been received as he had anticipated by the Psychical Research Society, and thought of getting back to India at the first opportunity. It is remarkable that a few days later I saw in the underground one of those I had marked. The chalk mark was still quite distinct. She was not in my compartment, but I noticed her as she stepped out on the platform at Baker Street. I suspect she was on her way to Madame Tussaud's waxwork exhibition, to instruct her mind there. But I was more fortunate a week later when I was at St. Albans. I had an uncle living there from whom I had expectations, and I paid him a visit. Whilst there, a lecture was to be given on the spectroscope, and as my acquaintance with that remarkable invention of modern times was limited, I resolved to go. Have you, my friend, ever taken up the subject of the photosphere of the sun? Never. Then let me press it upon you. It will really supply a large amount of wing pulp, if properly assimilated. It is a most astonishing thought that we are able, at the remote distance at which we are from the solar orb, to detect the various incandescent metals which go to make up the luminous envelope of the sun. Not only so, but we are able to discover, by the bars of the spectroscope, of what Jupiter, Saturn, and so on are composed. What a stride astronomy has made since the days of Newton! No doubt about it, but I do not want to hear about the bars, but of the chalk marks on the Merriwigs. Well, then. I noticed two elderly ladies sitting on the row before me, and there, as distinctly as if sketched in only yesterday, were the symbols I had scribbled on their backs. I did not have an opportunity of speaking with them then, indeed I had no introduction to them, and could hardly take on me to address them without it. I was, however, more successful a week or two later. There was a meeting of the Hertfordshire Archaeological Society organized to last a week with excursions to ancient Verulam, and to other objects of interest in the country. Hertfordshire is not a large county. It is, in fact, one of the smallest in England, but it yields to none in the points of interest that it contains, apart from the venerable abbey church that has been so fearfully mauled and maltreated by ignorant so-called restoration. One must really hope that the next generation, which will be more enlightened than our own, will undo all the villainous work that has been perpetrated to disfigure it in our own. The local secretaries and managers had arranged for charabancs and breaks to take the party about, and men learned, or thinking themselves to be learned, on the several antiquities, were to deliver lectures on the spot explanatory of what we saw. 
On three days there were to be evening gatherings, at which papers would be read. You may conceive that this was a supreme opportunity for storing the mind with information, and knowing what I did, I resolved on taking advantage of it. I entered my name as a subscriber to all excursions. On the first day we went over the remains of the old Roman city of Verulam, and were shown its plans and walls, and further, the spot where the protermater of Britain passed over the stream, and the hill on which he was martyred. Nothing could have been more interesting and more instructive. Among those present were three middle-aged personages of the female sex, all of whom were chalk-marked on the back. One of these marks was somewhat effaced, as though the lady whose gown was scored had made a faint effort to brush it off, but had tired of the attempt and had abandoned it. The two other scorings were quite distinct. On this first day, though, I sighted up to these three Merriwigs. I did not succeed in ingratiating myself into their favor sufficiently to converse with them. You may well understand, my friend, that such an opportunity of getting out of them some of their Merriwigian experiences is not to be allowed to slip. On the second day I was more successful. I managed to attain a seat in a break between two of them. We were to drive to a distant spot where there was a church of considerable architectural interest. Well, in these discursions a sort of Freemasonry exists between the archaeologists who share in them, and no ceremonious introductions are needed. For instance, you say to the lady next to you, Am I squeezing you? And the ice is broken. I did not, however, attempt to draw any information from those between whom I was seated, till after luncheon a most sumptuous repast, with champagne, liberally given to the society by a gentleman of property, to whose whose house we drove up just about one o'clock. There was plenty of champagne supplied, and I did not stint myself. I felt it necessary to take a certain amount of Dutch courage before broaching to my companions in the break the theme that lay near my heart. When, however, we got into the conveyance, all in great spirits after the conclusion of the lunch, I turned to my right-hand lady, and said to her, "'Well, miss, I fear it will be a long time before you become angelic.' She turned her back upon me, and made no reply. Somewhat disconcerted, I now addressed myself to the chalk-marked lady on my left hand, and asked, "'Have you anything at all in your head except archaeology?' Instead of answering me the kindly mood in which I spoke, she began at once to enter into a lively discussion with her neighbour on the opposite side of the carriage, and ignored me. I was not to be done in this way. I wanted information. But, of course, I could enter into the feelings of both. Merriwigs do not like to converse about themselves in their former stage of existence, of which they are ashamed, nor of the efforts they are making in this transitional stage to acquire a fund of knowledge for the purpose of ultimately discarding their acquired bodies, and developing their ethereal wings as they pass into the higher and nobler condition. We left the carriage to go up to a spot about a mile off, through lanes, muddy and rutty, for the purpose of inspecting some remarkable stones. All the party would not walk, and the conveyances could proceed no nearer. The more enthusiastic did go on, and I was one of the number. What further stimulated me to do so was the fact that the third Merriwig, she, who had partially cleaned my scoring off her back, plucked up her skirts, and strode ahead. I hurried after and caught her up. "'I beg your pardon,' said I. 
you must excuse the interest i take in antiquities but i suppose it is a long time since you were a girl of course my meaning was obvious i referred to her earlier existence before she borrowed her present body but she stopped abruptly gave me a withering look and went back to rejoin another group of pedestrians ha my friend i verily believe that the boat is being lifted the tide is flowing in the tide is flowing i said and then added really major donnelly your story ought not be confined to the narrow circle of your intimates that is true he replied but my desire to make it known has been dampened by the way in which alec was received or rather rejected by the secretary of the society for psychical research but i do not mean that you should tell it to the society for psychical research to whom then tell it to the horse marines end of eighteen recording by kirk ziegler ogden utah voiceover-solutions.com